Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited, as I often am, to have my guest on today, Miss Jessica Vanderhoek. How are you? How are you, Jessica? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. We met randomly, as I do. I always start the show that way, thinking, "Oh, how do we meet?" Calgary conspires one degree of separation. We have uh, we share a very close mutual friend, and you and I met at just a, mm-hmm. at a gathering, which is what happens. But we got into a really interesting conversation. I don't even know how to set the tone. But more importantly, I'm going to start with why is the audience going to listen today? We're going to talk a little bit about um, psychedelics. We're going to talk a little bit about ketamine. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. um, people's journey and how the role that those can play. And we're going to do that through sharing a little bit of your journey. So I'll turn it back. Who are you and what do you, what do you, what do you, you're, you're, you're a paramedic or an EMT? Is it paramedic or EMT? What do we call you these days? What's the proper thing? Well, I'm an advanced care paramedic. So there's, Thank you. Okay, boom, boom. Shut down, Tyler. You screwed it up completely. Sorry. Yep. I'll turn the mic over to you. <laughs> no, no, no. You asked. You were <laughs> you were aware of the fact that there are different levels. So I appreciate that. Um, EMTs you. are now called primary care paramedics, and paramedics are now called advanced care paramedics. So I'm an advanced care paramedic. Yeah. Is that, that what would that be like getting your ALS? That was that was it called was it called ALS before? No. What was it? ACLS. ACLS. Yeah. Okay. I had some friends in Vancouver, in in BC that did this and they were like getting their next level and they were always like, you know, what's, what's the next level of certification I can get and how does that bring me up the chain of the chain of seniority or, you know, knowledge or the ability to, to care. Right. Mm -hmm. Skills. Yeah, really is what it comes down. How long have you done that for? 22 years. Whoa. That's many. I know people look at me as I joke, that's many, many personalities wrapped up in that journey. (laughs) Honestly, it's many lifetimes wrapped up in that journey. Seriously. Well, yeah. let's unpack a little years. bit of it. And how long have you been involved in, or maybe talk to us a little bit about your involvement with psychedelics more specifically? I think it's around ketamine specifically in terms of facilitation and yeah. helping others. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I got into psychedelics as a result of the PTSD that I experienced from being a paramedic and childhood trauma. And the way that I got into ketamine was once I got into psychedelics, I realized that I needed to bring this to other people, that other people needed to have access. And right now in Canada and Alberta, the legal way to get people access to psychedelics is to work with ketamine. And it just so happens that ketamine is in the advanced care paramedic scope of practice. Ketamine, we'll just talk about ketamine for a second. I, I've been told, and sure. please, I'm going to say things, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong as well. That's that's part of this episode. I like to make a statement. You're like, no, no, you kind of got that off, or no, that ketamine, so much more. I, I'll use this word loosely, but accepted or informed or aware of that it's le- much less of a jump or less of a gap or less of a step for medical mm-hmm. professionals to deal with or to be a, to approach the concept of psychedelics through ketamine because it's something that they're familiar with in their toolkit. You mentioned that very early. That was part of the exactly. advanced toolkit. And is that, is, you know, do you, do you agree? Is that a direct correlation of why maybe ketamine seems to be more quickly or being adopted more fluidly in that environment just because it's more comfortable? It's, an, it's a known substance versus some mushrooms that somebody found in the woods, but we'll talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. Um, physicians uh, have been using ketamine now for, for decades. Right, it's been part of the, like you mentioned, the medical toolkit. I think since the 50s or 60s, maybe even earlier than that. No, the 60s, and um, so it's a medication that is given frequently for different purposes because ketamine is actually a dissociative anesthetic with psychedelic properties. So it's Mm -hmm. not even classified as a psychedelic, but it has very psychedelic properties, 
and it has been proven to be extremely safe and as a matter of fact is the drug of choice when doing procedural sedation with children because it is such a safe medication it's almost impossible to overdose on it and it doesn't have the same negative side effects that opioids do on people's respiratory rates and their blood pressures and um, all of those things you know so it's extremely safe and so people are comfortable with it it's a known like you mentioned it's a known it's a known entity um, so we've actually received a lot of you know open minds coming to us which I really which I appreciate because I, I'll be blunt to say the medical system as you will or the medical uh, institution is not always quick to change or to adopt new ways of doing things is that is that a correct oversimplified statement as well <laughs> Yes, that is 100% correct. And I honestly thought that the referrals coming into our clinic would be from psychologists because um, psychedelic assisted therapy is really taking off in psychology. But in fact, a lot of our referrals into clinic are from people's family doctors, which I love. It makes me so happy for the future and psychiatrists mm. as well. Yeah. I love it. Happy for the, happy for the future. Um, right now, to be clear, just to talk about the mechanisms of it, you would need a referral from your family doctor or your psychologist. Or, yeah. Like or, so many things in our medical system, you would need a referral to get access to this, correct? A hundred percent, yeah. And then there's actually a medical screening that your primary care provider, whether that's a nurse practitioner or your family doctor or your psychiatrist, they need to, to do a physical assessment on you, order lab work, your analysis, and an ECG before you come into the clinic. So there is, like we do pride ourselves in having a good screening process. We're not just gonna give it to anybody. And so that's one of the things that we're, we're really careful about is screening people properly and making sure that they're cleared and that their treatment team is aware of what they're doing, right? Right. When you say screening, are you mm -hmm. looking for, um, obviously any medical contraindications, like we've got, we've got a heart issue, yeah. or we've got something going on that this could actually just, like, like any medication could increase or you're at a higher risk of having a negative response. What about anything from a, from a, from a mental or from a pre, because, you know, there's lots of podcasts out there talking about psychedelics and they often say, hey, just caveat, healthy adults, healthy mental yeah. state, healthy, no prior incidence of psychosis or, you know, any of those categories. I don't even want to be careful, get my terminology wrong. When you're screening, are you screening like the whole person, which I'm assuming yes, or there's the standard yeah. like, okay, let's check your EKG, let's check your heart, let's check your lungs. But what about your mental state and where that, like, because that can be a little bit more of a blurry line that people can misrepresent that as well. Yeah, and so that's part of the screening process where they come and see me to do an intake assessment first because I can actually feel people, right? So I okay. listen to what they're saying to me and I watch if what they're saying and how they feel is congruent. Um, I also okay, watch I like to see how they take in the information that I give them because the information that I give them a lot of times is the first time they're hearing these things. And so how they receive the information also tells me a lot about whether they're going to be a good candidate. But specifically when it comes to screening mental health, you were 100% correct. Psychosis, previous episodes of psychosis, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, um, uncontrolled seizures, uncontrolled high blood pressure, because ketamine does have a, a known side effect of causing very transient uh, blips in, in increasing blood pressure, and they do go down okay. on their own, and they're not dangerous. But obviously, if you 
already have, have a pre-existing condition pressure. of course we, yeah yeah we want you to get that under control before you come see us so those are kind of the big ones um is for for mental health is the schizophrenia the bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder those are the three big ones that we want to make sure and for their safety of course chatting a little bit about what you said i love yeah. you use the word feel which is a tricky word when you get into mm -hmm. science and medical and all those things and the word, oh, I don't it have any is. time for feels. I need science. <laughs> but you said, I feel, but you, you added to it mm -hmm. what you really resonate with or what, what I loved about what you said. For me, it made sense. I look for incongruency. They're like, yeah. I'm saying yes, but I'm nodding my head no. <laughs> That's the oversimplified version yeah. of that. Like, I 100% understand as you're shaking your head. So for you, is that something that has been part of your journey? And we're going to circle back to that in a second. But was that something you were formally trained on? Was that also part of a little bit what makes you you after 22 years of working with humans yeah. and patients and, and being in that role? Like, Because I'm always looking, and of course, I'm a business person. How do you scale that? How do you scale the Jessica effect? How do you scale your ability to intake that? When I think about all of these ketamine clinics that are popping up now on a larger scale, mm -hmm. I go to another one that you're not doing that intake. How different is my experience? And I guess maybe standardization and just thinking about the public going, is this safe? What? How am I going to get treated? Sorry, I just asked you six questions all in one there. I apologize. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> it's because my questions so come I'll out as I'm talking. The feeling part. <laughs> yes, thank know, you. Right? Let's go back to the beginning. Talk to me about I love feeling. it. <laughs> yeah, so I've always been a feeler. Um, I, that is something that I was born with that I've always been able to feel. I can feel animals especially very strongly and um, sometimes small children, but most of the, like, even being on the ambulance, I can feel what's going on with somebody. I could feel what their issue was before they even told me because people have different types of energy, right? Like someone with mm. schizophrenia, I feel like if you put your hand on a TV and you got the staticky feeling all over your hand, if <laughs> they feel like that to me, but not as intense. And so they have a different kind of energy. Um, the interesting thing about that is because I was never taught how to um, ground myself properly and protect myself from those energies, eventually they started to actually corrode me energetically. Ooh, what a, what a great and word, one of the things, That's a powerful word. Yeah, like that's actually what started to happen because I was taking all of these energies home with me in like my thousand pound backpack and couldn't figure out why I was exhausted all the time. And it was because I didn't know how to ground myself or protect myself. But the other part of that is, is what comes with your PTSD injury is that you actually start to disconnect from those parts of yourself. Because the training that we get is don't show any emotion, don't get involved, only weak people cry or feel bad for their patients. It's in their best interest that you just have a very low affect and you just get the job done, right? Especially when it's really traumatizing. And so to cope with the job, I started to dissociate. And so I was numbing the part of me that could feel. And in effect, I was, I was slowly killing it. And once I realized that that part of me is linked to my higher intelligence and to my soul, I realized that my soul was actually slowly starting to die because I was having to numb the part of me that could feel because no one had taught me that it was actually okay to have on the job and that it was an asset as a paramedic to be able to feel. And here's how you look after yourself. So that part of me kind of became my enemy for a little while and I had to develop a new relationship with it. 
So it's been an interesting journey with my, the part of me that can feel other people. <laughs> I love how you articulated that. I just like recently, um, Dr. Gabor Mate, which I'm sure you're familiar with, or a lot of my listeners are. I, I love just him. listened to an episode. Pardon me? I love him. Yeah, I, I, I had a feeling you might. I just listened to yeah. a recent episode he did with Luke Story on the Lifestylist podcast, really talking about trauma and childhood trauma and how we get so separated from ourselves because of that. And that, that then, then becomes the issue. And then we spend our life getting back into connections. I've literally was just listening to it yesterday. So what you just said, you encapsulated that so beautifully, which I think is a core of a lot of the work he does. And, you know, I've, it's one of those people I've, I read years ago and then I kind of lost track or didn't focus. And all of a sudden he's coming up in my feed everywhere right now. I think he has a, he has a new book out. Uh, I think that that's what he's on. He's promoting, but really talking about that. So circling back to that, that PTSD or that childhood trauma, and not to just loosely throw those together, you talked about very specifically your journey yeah. as a paramedic and being taught actually to dis like you that you couldn't tap into that part of yourself because that's weak and that's not what good paramedic like that's so much of our world I think unfortunately gets gets done that way. But part of the childhood mm -hmm. trauma for you as you started to become how were how did those interrelate? Because they feel like they were really, like obviously contributed to each other or all part of the whole you. But the PTSD that happened on the job versus the childhood trauma, just talk to me a little bit about your own journey to kind of unpack that and kind of, I don't want to say get it all in order, but kind of get it into a place that you could start to process it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because um, I will say Gabor and I, I think we share the same brain because we understand <laughs> the exact same concepts. Honestly, if I had been on my healing journey 10 years earlier, I would be a multi-millionaire from writing all the books that about the because as soon as i talk about a topic i hear he and it, it you know whichever one of us oh, so is this you and first, i talking I right now is perfect timing we, then like so this is perfect me think, just listening to his podcast is think, perfect yeah it is because we think so similarly so one of the concepts that i was floating around about five years ago was the fact that i believed that childhood trauma made you very vulnerable to ptsd and another aspect that I believed was that childhood trauma actually drove a lot of us into first responder jobs and military jobs. And when I first floated that out to the psychology community, they looked at me like I had a horn growing out of the middle of my head. And then yet here's Gabar saying the exact same thing a year or two later. And I'm sure he's known it for years, but he's just, mm -hmm. you know, talked about it. And I was like, see, that's exactly what I was talking about. So for me, that's exactly what it was. When I okay. started seeking out treatment for my PTSD, I legitimately thought it was going to be just for the stuff I experienced at work. Because, you know, there was a decade and a half at that point, almost two decades of trauma accumulated. So I was like, I'm going to deal with my PTSD. And then what I found out was actually, if you deal with your childhood trauma, you will start to heal your workplace PTSD because they're so interlinked. And if you, if you visualize two giant weeds sitting on the surface of the ground, and then if you were able to do like a, a pan underground and see these giant root systems, their root systems are completely interlinked. So even though on the surface of the ground they look like two separate plants, their root systems are communicating to each other constantly. And so if you pull the weed out on one end, you actually pull the root system of the other weed out and make it easier to pull the top of that off. Does that make sense to you? Well, what, that's a great metaphor. No, I'm picturing it now. I've got the whole visual. And yeah. Absolutely. 
No, I think that's a, that's a fantastic way to lay it out. And it also, it really speaks to why two people can experience a similar situation and one mm-hmm. can be traumatized by it or have, it can have it, they can have two, let's just call it two completely different impacts when I, ultimately the situation that we both observed or were or involved in would maybe two people on a, on a, in a paramedics car, two of the, both of you walk away with a completely different, uh, mental state or scar series of scars or bruises <laughs> mentally and physically from a, what mm-hmm. arguably was the same as incident, but it wasn't the same at all because my incident was my, my eyes and yours was yours. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and my incident was my filter and your, mm-hmm. my, your incident was your filter and my filter has been developed by decades of trauma. So my perception of that same event is really warped and it's not my fault right? This filter was placed on me in childhood, in infancy, in utero, as a matter of fact, right? So mm-hmm. that's exactly it. If it gets you back to were the not primal, taught, primal wound concept. <laughs> and that's a huge aspect of working with psychedelics, actually. Um, but if you were not taught how to emotionally regulate, and you were not taught resiliency, and you don't have healthy attachments, <clears throat> um, and those parts of your, your brain were never developed. So your ability to be resilient, your ability to, to look after yourself, like self-care is a huge part of being resilient in, in the first responder community. But when no one ever looked after you, hmm. how on earth would you know how to look after yourself? When no one ever consoled you when you were afraid, how do you know that you're allowed to sit with your fear? How, no one taught you how to move through emotions. Then what do you do with them as an adult? You suppress them because that's what you did as a child to survive. So you were so set up to fail to go into these jobs that are going to be traumatizing. There's no if, it's just a when. And then, you know, if you look at the psychology behind why we pick these jobs, and and so I run a PTSD program with horses for first responders and military personnel, and one of the conversations I want to have with them is why did you become a first responder? And a lot of them will say, well, because I like to help people. Okay, well, why do you like to help people? Well, because it makes me feel good. Okay, and so what about helping people makes you feel good? Well, I feel needed. I feel wanted. Okay, so where was a time in your life where you didn't feel needed and you didn't feel wanted? And as soon as I drop that question, it's like, boom, the hammer of reality hits them. And you can see them. They start to cry. Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now because you can see that they're going back to their little two, three, four-year-old self. And they're finally, finally, finally realizing that the reason that they became a first responder is because they wanted to be in a group of people where they felt wanted. They wanted to be part of a community because they didn't have it growing up. And a really wise woman said to me, and I'm going to steal her words because this is exactly how I would articulate it. I chose a job where I was needed because I didn't feel wanted as a kid. Right? And so... For somebody like me who was very parentified by my parents, by my mother, and I say that with a lot of compassion and love for how deeply traumatized that she was and is, um, but I got taught very early on that the only time I had any value is when I was looking after other people. That was my sole value. I had no other value otherwise. Me existing was just for the purposes of making other people feel better, and that was instilled in me from the time that I could walk, essentially. By the time I was six years old, I could iron, I could cook a meal, and I could look after my younger siblings at six. And I'm not even, I'm not even exaggerating on that. Mm. 
So what's the ultimate job where you, where you are the ultimate helper? Right? Military or care, yeah. Yeah. Really How much value would I have if I saved people's lives? I would have the most value. Right. You, can you see just keep upping the upping the ante. Well, if I make them yeah. a meal, that's one thing. But if I take care of them, if I protect them, if I save them from dying yeah. because they were injured, that just keeps you're right. Like, what's the next most higher order version in my mind or my construct of where I can get that feeling of yeah. of doing for others? So. I love all these things that are so complex and so deep, but when you lay them out, like, well, that was pretty, under, that was pretty simple. Was pretty, you know, right. what, what Gabor said yesterday that resonated with me that was inter- a bunch of things, but the one he said, which I really loved, and you know when something is obvious, but then you hear it, he goes, you know, trauma isn't always what happened to you. It's what you didn't, what didn't happen to you or what you didn't get. Yeah. That feeling of belonging, the feeling of, and it was like, oh, so interesting to flip it because sometimes like, oh, I haven't had trauma. Like I haven't had, I wasn't, this didn't happen to me or that didn't happen to me. And sometimes we scale it or gauge it. Of mm-hmm. like, oh, you got abandoned and left to die in the, you know, in the woods. Okay, that's a trauma. Versus, no, you just your parents just didn't, you know, hug you the way you needed to be hugged that day. You needed to be hugged, so you created a story and it shifted your psyche. That to me it was all of a sudden just that moment of like, okay, stop thinking it has to be this big thing. It can just be something small that you didn't get when you needed it. Not that something necessarily yeah. bad happened to you. I think trauma gets. A, a, I don't. I think it gets overly defined in our society right now as this big bad thing that happened, which that's great. But these small micro traumas that are just absence of something, I think that gives a lot of permission to be okay with that too as we all go on our journeys. Absolutely. And I mean, I call them adverse events, but anytime that your needs weren't met, right? And I agree with you. Everyone's looking for the big T. And then when I start talking with them, you know, they're like, well, I don't have a big trauma, but they tell me about their childhoods. And I'm just like, uh, okay. So you have a lot of, accumulative little teas that are now presenting as a big T for you in adult. <laughs> I'm afraid to tell you the reason you've been experiencing depression for the last 30 years is because you grew up in a home where you didn't know your father, your mother was an alcoholic, you didn't have food when you needed it, you raised your siblings. Do you know what I mean? Like, And it doesn't even need to be that big because that's still a really traumatizing childhood. But anytime that your needs weren't met, as a child can create an imprint of, of, of that, right? And those are all adverse events and they all have an impact on us. So for, for you on your journey, thinking about the higher order job and like always kind of chasing the next thing that will give you that feeling, but what it sounded like, and not to oversimplify it, but no matter how much you chase it, it's, it's a little bit of chasing the dragon. It's kind of a bit of a, we all become junkies to try to fill that void, but we, it never gets filled because we're doing it. We're not coming back to the root. So for you on your journey, did it just get to a point for you that it was so dark that the, the, like, there was just no way you could fill the cup up anymore with, with doing the things that maybe 20 years ago when you first started, like, okay, wow, I'm, I'm needed. And I'm, but then all of a sudden it, it feels like that you, you slowly and, and consistently just get worn down by the fact that, you, it's never enough. You could just never fill the cup. Yeah, it is. It's a black hole because when you externalize your your value, when you look for external validation of danger, danger. your value, <laughs> yes, right? And that's how we end up injured because we overextend ourselves on top of the fact that we are doing a job that is alone on its own, a very traumatizing job, even if you were really healthy going into it. And... So eventually the PTSD starts to creep in, right? The, the drinking increases, the antidepressants increase, 
the um, inability to look after yourself increases, the insomnia increases, all of the symptoms, the depression, the anxiety, the suicidal ideation, um, the breakdown of relationships with your loved ones, your spouses. And, you know, I'll be completely honest. I ended up as, a, as an alcoholic, you know, I was losing my house. The financial ruin that goes along with PTSD is just, that's probably even the worst part of it, I would say, that um, that's the most stressful part. And I think financial ruin is, is honestly the reason why quite a few first responders die by suicide. Um, <clears throat> but you get to the point where your whole life has fallen apart. And, you know, your relationship is dissolved. I was divorced. I was an alcoholic. I was in total financial ruin. I'd had a couple of failed suicide attempts that should have worked, and they didn't because, you know, I wasn't meant to die. But And just the chronic suicidality because life just got so hard, and it was exhausting. And when you are trying to climb a mountain – and you have no energy and nothing's working for you and everything feels like it's falling apart like every aspect of my life was falling apart there wasn't one part of my life that was functioning or or working and my best friend was diagnosed with cancer and my dog was diagnosed with cancer and you know my i had to sell my house before it went into foreclosure like i could go on and on and on about how awful that period of time was and it was just there was, it didn't feel like it was recoverable, and the only way for me to get any type of relief or rest was to take a time out from this planet. I was like, if I'm never going to have a healthy relationship with a man, and I'm never going to have money, and I'm never going to be at peace, and I'm never going to be okay, and then you throw in the fact that I had no sense of value for myself because I still hadn't come to the big concept, the big one of the big learning pieces that I needed to learn, that I learned through psychedelics. So you take the thing that has been providing you your sense of self, that has been providing you the external validation that you have any value. And when that thing turns around and bites you, like our jobs do with the PTSD, there goes your entire sense of self. There goes all the value you thought you had, right? Because your entire existence has been externally validated this whole time. So you just, it's, it's the perfect storm. Right, and it's the black and it, hole and it, of, and of it, the soul. It just sucks you in, and it and it repeats itself over and over again in so many different instances, mm -hmm. at different degrees, and different cycles. <clears throat> so for you, the turning point, you know, and we're kind of getting there. We certainly established the dark and and and, and the deepness of, of this pit that you that you ran, which you said there was without any uh, external uh, something to shift the direction or to kind of break the pattern. It was just going darker and deeper and darker and deeper, which is the pattern people get into where there you completely lose hope. But I know because you and I have chatted, just sitting on a couch at a party when we met and kind of having an intense chat about this, there was a moment where psychedelics came into your life and kind of broke the pattern of this downhill that sounds like, in a, in a, in a flying example, the spiral dive is tightening and tightening and tightening. Yeah. There's a point that you can't, you can't pull out, right? Yeah. The G-forces take over and no matter what you do, the plane's going to hit the ground. But psychedelics came into your life and broke that spiral dives so talk a little bit about that experience and how that like because for some people they might be going yes i'm relating i'm relating okay yeah. what do i do next what do i do now so it's it, you know what the the metaphor the analogy that you use is perfect because that's exactly what it feels like you're you're in a death spiral and you cannot get yourself out and finding out about working with psychedelics for me was like 
finding out that I actually had a parachute on my back that I didn't know about. <laughs> Great way to pull the metaphor through. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was like it. all of a sudden. Oh, this, shit. This, I got a parachute oh on. God, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out. I had no idea that was Stepping there. Stepping out the oh side of this plane. God. <laughs> yeah, right? And I did. Um, so psychedelics came into my life in a really interesting way because I'd gotten to the point where I was committed to dying. I'd had a two-year suicide pact with myself, and in, in all honesty, that suicide pact had actually probably saved my life because it gave me an out from the pressure, right? Every day I had an out. Every day I had like, okay, okay yeah, if yeah. today is worse than, if tomorrow is worse than today, I don't have to do this anymore, and it effectively gave me an out. I don't recommend it to anybody, and I'm not saying it's a good idea, but for me, it probably kept me alive, and... I started looking into ayahuasca because I heard that that's what the U.S. military vets were working with. And I called up my uncle, and my uncle's a very spiritual person. He's a deep trance channeler, and he's just an amazing human being. And I thought, if anybody will know if this is a good idea, it'll be him. He will. Right? So I called him up, and I said, what do you think about psychedelics? And he said, I don't think that's a good idea for you, Jess. I think that'll be too intense. I don't know that that's a smart move, and I don't think you should do it. So when I hung up the phone with him, I was really disappointed because I was really hoping he was going to be like, that's a great idea. Um, and the universe says you should do it. And because um, at that point, I tried everything, like literally everything that you could get your hands on for first responder back then, I tried it. None of it had worked. So I thought to myself, Jessica, you're still going to look into this. You're still going to do this. And you just won't tell them that you did it. But just, <laughs> you know, keep researching. So I went to go visit him a year later in uh, Mexico and he's got a place there with his husband and I I went to visit him and he said to me he goes I tried it and I was like what he goes I tried I tried ayahuasca I wanted to try it to see if it would be okay for you and I found someone that I feel safe with so I'm gonna start doing this and I was like what that's incredible okay so tell me everything the universe provides <laughs> right so he told me about his experience and he said i'm gonna start doing this i'm gonna build a retreat and you're gonna come back and you're gonna do it so he he, he that was the biggest gift anybody's ever given me like i've said to him my mom gave birth to me but you gave me my life back so i went back a year later and i did four different kinds of medicine over the span of a week and i it changed my life like changed my entire life completely in the span of a week every aspect what were the, of it. what were the four medicines or what were the four substances that you so ayahuasca was the first one okay. um sorry cambo was actually the first one which isn't a psychedelic but it purges your system and it gives you a big energetic and physical detox so that your body's mm -hmm. ready to receive the medicine so cambo was the first one ayahuasca was the second one Samadhi, which isn't uh, a well-known one, was the third one. And then the fourth one, which was actually a big surprise to me and wasn't planned originally, was Sapito, which is 5-MeO-DMT. <laughs> the, the toad. <laughs> the toad, which I actually yes, have you... tattooed on my arm now because he saved me. Yes, I've uh, had my own relationships with the toad, but that's another. Yeah, the toad. <laughs> He's an amazing, amazing being. So, or she right uh, yeah i think it uh, yeah so totally yeah so it's the a non colorado river toad it's a non-binary situation there yeah. it just it is it is all things yes yeah but, it is all mm. things right okay wow interesting so very much a process you know and 5meo can also be an incredible detoxer as well but to set yeah. yourself up to be able to receive and go on the journey 
This was over, a, as you said, a five-day period of time? It was a seven-day period, but we'd seven worked days. with medicine over the five days. But yeah, okay. it was a okay. seven, it was a week-long retreat. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. For someone who's had enough experiences to know, um, that almost can't not change your life. I, I don't want to say that flippantly either, but I'm saying it a little bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> no. <like>, wow. <laughs> Not not for the you can't not, not, walk not out for of the week. The same not person. not yeah. No, you're not. That's mm -mm. for sure. Wow. Um so yeah. that clearly is your your turning that's a turning point for you in terms that of give you your life back. Like you be made very, very clear. And how many years ago was that? So that was three years ago. Um August fifteenth. Because August fifteenth is my rebirth day. That's the day that I died and came mm. back with five MEO. I I was reborn. So August 15th is my rebirthday, and it was the three-year anniversary this past August. I love the concept of a rebirthday. That's a, yeah. I love that on so many levels. I, I, I love that. Like, I'm taking so much from what you said, but that one, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sending you a birthday card on your rebirth. Oh. Um, I love so much about what that means and what it represents and how glowing and smiling you are telling me about it. You're only three years old. That's fantastic. Exactly. Mm. I'm just a baby. Oh. A baby with lots of journeys, lots of miles on on the, yeah. on, on, the on the on the the system. Wow! And at that point, was that when you made the choice to go? Okay, I need to give back. I want to contribute. I want to yeah. be part of this. And and all of a sudden, it also sounds like that other the opportunity with um that organ with uh, Wayfound came up. Did that come up before or after that? No, that came up quite a bit after. So okay, yeah, I, I'm assuming, but yeah. yeah, I love how the universe how it all comes together. I know, right? Nothing by chance, but all by by direction. And the universe is still out there doing something. Uh, okay, wow. So that came up, and but at that point, when you came back, you were still working in as a as a paramedic. Yeah. Still working as a, as a primary care, advanced care, I should say. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, the world looks completely different to you. Oh, it's it's it is a totally like nothing, different nothing world. Nothing looks the same. <laughs> nothing looks the same because back my to those entire, filters. You threw that filter and it, it was, was gone. gone. It's destroyed. You blew it up and then it was drove over it a couple times. Yeah, yeah, and then blew it up like it's. It was, I, I came home to an entirely new world. Like I still had all my memories, but essentially what 5-MeO does mm. is if your brain is a, a, a hard drive, what it does is it takes the hard drive out and just completely replaces it with a brand new one. <laughs> new wiring, new yep, memory, that's like a, that's a very new storage accurate. capacity. It just, it completely rewires your brain and it heals your soul on such a profound level. So I came back with a completely different perspective. And even though my perspective probably only shifted one degree, that's all you need to see something completely different. So my but reality- Back to that flying analogy, if you start a journey and you shift your, your direction by one degree, three, three years later, you were way over in a completely different place than you would ever been in. Like, I love the one yeah. degree point. That's very valid. Oh, it's, it's only one truth. degree. And it's like, well- one degree water's boiling. It's not boiling. Like there's a lot more to that. The people are like, oh, I'm going to change my life. One degree and then start running it out. And it goes in a completely new direction. Sorry, I just exactly. love that you said that. In the world, we so want to glamorize. Like, oh, it completely changed. Yeah, it started even one degree. But then the journey actually began. <laughs> yes, because now you can actually. So the way that I use, I said it was like if you're in, if you're in a, uh, on a, you know, we'll say Deerfoot, right? It's got four lanes of traffic. Every time you switch lanes, it doesn't feel like a giant move. You're not you're not drifting all the way across your foot, but <laughs> some drivers do. It's covering a lot. Anyway, happens. That's, an, that's, an, that's have, another oh. story. Yeah, don't even get me started. <laughs> Worst drivers ever. But sorry, guys, but I grew up in Quebec. You guys are terrible drivers here. It's terrible. awful. It's awful. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> when you switch lanes, you see things slightly different. 
And we, we don't pay attention to that. But if you do, you know, you're driving, change lanes and see how you can see a sign a little bit differently or how you'll notice a different vehicle beside you because now you're in a different lane or do you know what I mean? Like we Dude, numb ourselves it. to that. But and, and then so once you start working with psychedelics now, OK, well, now I've now I've changed two lanes. So now what's my perspective? Well, now all of a sudden I can see the traffic coming in the on. It does. It just takes one degree. And like you said, one degree, if you're, you know, you're parachuting, well, now you're landing in a completely different spot. And so that's. (laughs) You're in some other field in another town. Absolutely. I was. I was on a whole different planet. And the best part was I came back to work and my partner had also just come back from like a big um, journey, a big experience. And neither of us had a single thought in either of our minds because we both experienced like like complete cessation of thoughts, which is one of the amazing things that happens when you work with medicine. Your mind is just completely empty and quiet. And so here's the two of us giggling at each other over looking at each other through the ambulance going, do you have any idea what we're doing? And he's like, no, I don't. Do you? And I was like, nope, I don't have a single thought going on in my mind. <laughs> so we had the, the best laugh. Because we were like, do you remember how to operate the computer? No, I, I couldn't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin turning it on. You know, so we were just laughing. <laughs> no, you're, about making, the fact you're making you're making everybody we're... nervous who's ever got been on a I know, a, right? been on the other receiving end of, of, of a call. And I, 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 I will say But but back to rebirth, right? You're starting to relearn yes, everything with a new set of You're filters. relearning everything. And a caveat to that was I did take a two week holiday and a two week break. So please don't mishear me and think, oh, this you know, she was fully high and went to work. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no. Yeah, no, sorry, no, please, no. no. That's not, yeah, yeah good. Thank no, you for clarifying, I just, no. I just had a very quiet mind. I still knew exactly how to be a paramedic. Well, for some people, that concept is so foreign. The quiet it is. concept, what does that even mean? Like the monkey mind and all those. Oh. I tried meditating once and it was the worst 10 seconds of my life and I've never tried it again. Like those types of stories yeah. that you got to revisit with a different, you know, it, it shifts your mindset and it shifts it your view and it shifts the way you think about things. And it's hard to explain it if you've not experienced it. But trust us, it does it does change it, the way you engage with things. It quiets your mind and it's just peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to trust that you know what you're doing. And I did. So that's what I came back to is seeing everything differently and seeing things from a place of peace and quiet and contentment. Um, things that would have agitated me, that would have like lit my ass on fire. Nothing. <laughs> and I, I remember sitting there, I closed the doors on a patient that I was like, that man would have had my ass on fire uh, a week ago, two no, well, three weeks. Uh, you know, I would have been, I would have been so angry and so upset with this person, and I don't even care. And I remember sitting there, I was in the parking lot, and I was like, I don't care. I mean, I care about him. I want to help him, but I don't care that he's done all these things that normally would have pissed me off. Oh my God, it worked. <laughs> I love <laughs> you know what, what I you mean? just said, and I was waiting for the moment, but it's not that you didn't care about the person. No. But you didn't take his actions or anything he did as some personal affront or some like your story around how he was. Bingo. But it's not that you didn't care about him. And yep. I love that you said that. Yeah, no, I still wanted to help him. But the fact he said this or did that, irrelevant. Yeah. That's not that's not me. That's you. That's your thing. Exactly. But it's not that you were apathetic to him as a human being in your role. You just couldn't care less. Like you weren't gonna let it like, you know, you know, grind your gears or light trash on fire. <laughs> it's very clear, it's a very good metaphor. I don't need to use a better one. That's yeah. that works for me. And you know what? It really grinds my gears. Not that much because it's not usually that big of a deal. <laughs> but the power of choice. And so many times we feel, we, the proverbial we, it's that moment in life when you go, oh, wait a second. How I feel is my choice, not what someone else did to me. And like that can be 101 for some people. That could be like, well, what do you mean? 
I had a bad day because of something you did. Whoa. Wait a second there, cowboy, cowgirl. <laughs> That's not like, but even that concept of thinking it, but then even, even your, your DNA to not taking on other people's stuff. I, I know it sounds really simple, but man, is it freeing? It's so freeing. And it's so, it it's like the one-on-one first step of like, wait a second, I can choose how I feel. What? Mm-hmm. Brain explodes. <laughs> Yeah, it was incredible. I I will remember oh, I that for the rest story, of my right? life. Mm. Yeah, just okay. Like, so uh. you're three years ago. You had your re- your it was your ha- happy rebirth day. I love yeah. it. Yeah, celebrated your third rebirth day. You've now completely changed your career. Yes, you've you know uh, again, but your primary point of your career is still helping people. I love it. You 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 change the way you execute on it, but your drive to care for people, which was part of the PTSD, but I'm assuming your relationship with it has completely shifted. It's, it's, it's not what you need to survive. It's the no. thing that just actually brings you joy. Am I, am I oversimplifying or is that? No, that, you, that's that exactly it. That's exactly it. Because in, within 5MEO actually showed me how valuable I am just being me. It showed me that I am a soul. Unconditional love, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that I am a beautiful for self, and for self, powerful clear. <laughs> soul. Exactly. <clears throat> And the amount of love that I got to experience for myself in that moment was profound. Like there is no, it, it's the same way mm. that you feel when, when you see your first child for the first time. The amount of love that you feel for that being is exactly what I felt for myself. And I realized how strong I am, how powerful I am, how beautiful I am. And it has nothing to do with my body, nothing to do with my body. I had no body in that moment and was just experiencing myself as a soul. And the vibration of my name is the frequency of me, which was really fascinating because I heard the name Jessica over and over. And the vibration of it is part of my frequency, which is something that I learned. But anyways, that's a whole the other- things you hear in 5MEO and the whoa, 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 whoa. Like I'm just, right? you're bringing me back to it. Things yeah. It's I know, sounds right? you've, never, you've never heard and colors you've never seen and it's hard to articulate. I'm curious from a, from a like put on your- your, your paramedic, your trained medical hat. Does mm-hmm. oxytocin play any kind of a role in the 5-MEO experience? Because that's something that gets, you made the comparison to your first child. And obviously as a mother, you know, as any, any mammal giving birth, there's an oxytocin response, the love hormone. Is that a factor in 5-MEO experiences at all? I'm sorry, yeah. I'm going way off in left field. I just no, never no, no, it, the concept it, until you just said that. So it actually stimulates your pineal glands and it secretes nortriptamine. So oxytocin, dopamine, <sighs> and serotonin. So that's Very, huge okay. amounts. I felt of the those. serotonin, the dopamine, but I never connected into the oxytocin portion of it. Mm. And so I, and please don't quote me because I'm almost certain that oxytocin is one of them. If it's not, then I stand corrected. But I do believe it feels that it feels like it would be based yeah. on even what you just said. And I had a very similar experience. Like, oh, I never connected. Just there is what's happening spiritually and energetically in those moments, but there are hormonal, there is things happening in your body. Huge. It is all together. That's what rewires your brain, right? Is yeah. all of a sudden all these hormones are being secreted, these, these um, chemicals, and they're lighting up all of these parts of your brain and they're repairing all of these neural pathways. Back that's to neuroplasticity, the neuroplasticity and neural comes pathways. In, Absolutely. Right? They're building new neural pathways. But if you think about my experience where I went through the birth canal and was reborn, literally experienced being given birth to again, the squeezing of coming through the birth canal, my first big deep breath, that has to be oxytocin. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know totally. I never connected it until just hearing you you talk. And I think for anyone listening, it's very easy to you know, for some of us in our like logical, you know, I'm left brain, I'm right brain, and all the stories we tell about ourselves and our brains. We, but 
please, I behoove everyone, do your research around chemically neural from a neuroplasticity and a neuroscience mm -hmm. perspective, what's actually happening chemically. And not to be overlooked, there is a spiritual element that I am going to take no attempt to explain it, but there are two things going on. And I think sometimes when you talk to people at psychedelics, they've either really embraced, I've done the science and I've done my research because that's what makes them feel safe. But there's another group that embraces the, the, the spiritual side. They exist together, everyone. I'm just going to put that out there as my they own They go hand statement. in hand. A hundred percent. And you might dismiss one because it's foo-foo or not your thing, but you might embrace the other. Whatever rabbit hole helps you understand this opportunity, please go down that road first, but don't, don't eliminate that there's another side always to this whole thing. Well, you know what I say to people is believe in the science until you talk to the aliens. <laughs> right? Well said. Yeah. Just believe <laughs> Thank you in for all summing the up my, my whole sentence. Uh, until you talk to the aliens and then we'll chat. Yeah. Because it's inevitable. Um, this part of the talk that I give to people when they're doing their intake assessment is I do let them know that healing. So good. So good. <laughs> yeah, right? So <laughs> trauma is a soul injury first, and it's a brain injury second to that, mm. secondary to that. And so when we work with psychedelics, we heal the soul. And the way that that happens is that healing is done in a psycho spiritual level. What a lot of people don't realize is that healing from trauma is not a medical event. And it's very rarely even a brain event, a cerebral event. A lot of times it's, it's very much on a soul level with the brain being an active part in it, as we've discussed. But um, I tell people healing is a psycho-spiritual event. And in a lot of cases, deeply healing from trauma is a spiritual awakening. They go hand in hand. And the more open you are to the spirituality of working with these medicines that are have a lot of science backing them, the more profound your experience is going to be and the deeper you'll heal. So, yeah, believe in the science and, and then you can, you can meet the aliens, right? Embrace both sides <laughs> of it, truly. <laughs> that is very what you're right. Like, I've read the books that I've done all, you know, like, oh, this is how you explain what's happening on psychedelics. And yeah. then you do 5-MEO and you're like, well, that just threw that whole, dis <laughs> that whole description out the window. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I meant God, I had it all right? figured out in a nice little bucket of like, oh, your default mode network. And then this happens. Da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. Then I did 5-MEO. I'm like, well, okay. Well, that didn't take any of that. There's that, that is the unexplainable. That is spirituality. That whatever you want to call it. Meeting the inevitable. God. You know, it's the not, inevitable. it's called the God molecule for a reason, right? Oh, <laughs> when, your street I mean, name, when your street name is the God molecule, you know, you mean yep. business. <laughs> yeah. I tell people that too. It's called the God molecule for a reason. So it is. yeah, no jokes, no jokes. Um, yep. Oh, wow. Okay. You and I can go on for days and days. Yes. So we're, we're already going to do a part two. I'm just going to boldly put that out there. There's going to be a second episode because I know, I know you need to, to, to get to work and, 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 and life and life goes on around us. One last question of just, you know, I'm on my Gabor kind of mindset, but obviously dealing with people, we're talking a lot about making your life better, but which is how you feel and your past traumas, your PTSD, but let's talk about even medical. You've worked in the medical space of mm -hmm. people developing illness and sickness and disease, which there's lots of schools of thought of like, well, the disease is the healing of the trauma that is not manifesting. And there's so many different little nuances. When you think about trauma being at the root of so much and being someone who spent time in a world where like, if I break my arm, you're going to show up. That's different than that because you're gonna I'm gonna call the, the the ambulance and they're gonna come and fix me versus you know cancer and autoimmune and so many of the diseases that just seem to be running rampant in our society. Mm -hmm. uh, this is probably a whole nother episode, but your views around like the role that trauma and past trauma plays in not 
diminishing all the different science and research that's been done around some of these, 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 these maladies, but how much do you see or just your own personal view of the role that trauma plays for so many people when they become physically ill, not just mentally unhappy with their life? Yeah, it, it's significant because when we experience unhealed trauma, it creates an inflammatory state in the body. And if you look at the majority of our health problems, you can trace them back to a heightened inflammatory response over a prolonged period of time. And it's that chronic inflammation, the chronic secretion of cortisol, norepinephrine, that puts us into a state of disease. That I fully believe, and I am not a doctor, I am not a scientist, but the heightened inflammatory response that we get from, from unhealed trauma, I believe is a huge factor in how unhealthy our society is. I do believe that it plays a huge role in heart disease, a huge role in cancer. That's a big one for me. Um, and a lot of other diseases and illnesses. I really do. And I, and I think personally, if, if I hear someone being diagnosed with cancer, my first suggestion to them is please go work with psychedelics and heal your emotional body because you know, as we know, our body stores the trauma. It stores all of these unfelt emotions that we were not safe to feel, that we were not taught how to feel properly, um, that we weren't given the space or the time to feel. And every time we have those intense emotions that we don't get to feel, our body holds on to them. And that's what starts to create the pain, the chronic pain, the chronic inflammation, the you know all of the other things that come with that and so you know like i said when when somebody tells me i've been recently diagnosed with cancer not as a paramedic i don't you know that's not the advice i give them as a paramedic but as a human being that has experienced this lifetime i say find a way to work with psychedelics before you do anything else and give yourself a running start at getting treated because if you can heal your emotional body and reduce that inflammatory um response and and that going on in your body, you stand a much better chance. And none of that's been proven. So, you know, please don't come at me with your research in your data. <laughs> We're just having a conversation, folks. People know that. Yeah, like, this is this and, is based on my experience and what I've perceived and which what I, I've Which seen, I really appreciate. Right? Yeah. I, I asked yeah. a question, so it's on me. I, I put yeah. it out there. But I have my own views around that and certainly, you know, lean a little bit more that way of like, we need to heal the whole person. Mm -hmm. We've been focusing we so do. much on symptoms and and kind of diagnosis, not necessarily looking at like, hey, this person's suffering from, hey, what traumas did you deal with? And again, coming right off that episode, listening to Gabor, obviously that's usually his yeah. philosophy. And, and just the way he presented it, I was like, oh, you know, we, we know when you feel something and hear someone else say it, especially someone yeah. you know, who's in the position he's in, I'm like, oh, that's, I don't disagree with that. that was not, not just confirmation bias either, but like looking at the whole perspective. And I'm going to be blunt. If we had it right and we had it figured out, we'd be a lot healthier as a society than we are. So part of it is like, yes. if it was working, we wouldn't necessarily be having, and I forget somebody, I forget who it was I was listening to, but they said, you know, it's interesting where so many people are latching on to psychedelics right now, not because it's the end all and be all, but because our toolkit in the medical world is really not, it's kind of, it's kind of like a poor toolkit. We don't have enough tools. So all of a sudden we see something that creates a little bit of help that becomes the magic answer. And their position was there's still, there's more to be taken into consideration but we're just so excited to find something that actually helps. And I really appreciated the way they yeah. positioned it. <laughs> well, I've been saying Finally, a for new way quite a long time now. Things. Yes. And the current mental health system as it exists isn't working. And, and the biggest reason is we're not acknowledging that trauma is a soul injury first and a brain injury second mm -hmm. to that. 
And we're so focused on the brain that what we're doing is if we had a lawn full of weeds and the weeds are trauma, we're just mowing the lawn and we're calling it good. Because the grass is all the same length, it's all green. Jessica, you got you got the talking, but you've got the good metaphors. You're yeah, good guess. Thank you. It's a skill I have. Off just mowing. But it's the truth, right? We're just mowing the lawn, and and the weeds are are we're chopping them down, and we're saying, well, they're a manageable size. But what is the first thing that grows back when it rains? Always, not your weeds. It's your weeds. It's the weeds. So when we do soul level work, whether it's with breath work, whether it's in nature, whether it's yoga and meditation, whether it's psychedelics, when we do soul level work, we are pulling those weeds out by the root. And we are helping people actually heal themselves. And that's the shift that has been needed to be made this whole time. And the one thing about COVID that I will say is it showed us how broken our systems yeah. are. And to me, that is the most, the biggest reason is we're not, we're not doing soul level work. We're strictly focused on the brain. Last question, because I know you have to go to work. So I'm going to, I'm going to rein myself back in because we could go, gotta go give somebody some yeah. psychedelics. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is what an amazing, what a, what a great day you have ahead. Um, yeah, I know, right? Soul, soul injury. I've had lots yeah. of conversations with different people where, oh, geez, you know, ketamine, ooh, I don't know, that doesn't have a soul the same way 5-EMAO or ayahuasca mm. does. You and I did chat about this thing when we first met around, there seems to be a little bit of different schools of thought of like, ah, you know, ketamine is still existing in this, like you have to have a problem and you have to get a referral and you have to be diagnosed. And it's perpetuating what some people I know were like, ah, that's the, that's the don't focus on the soul, focus on the ailment, which is something we need to be able to measure and, and, and monitor because that's science versus the world of, some of the other psychedelics, which are more, they have a soul. And which I know is a loose concept for some people listening, like, what are you guys even talking about? But I'm assuming that's something, like, what, what's your point of view on that? And, and kind of where do, you, where do you see that kind of all netting out? So, yes, ketamine in its, you know, um, in its creation is a man-made synthesized chemical. But way, 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 way back when it was first created, it was actually from fungi. In its oh, very, okay. very I... infancy. Yes. Yeah. So, but it is Which so many drugs that we have are derived from nature in some way. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it is a chemically synthesized medicine. So there is the belief that it doesn't have a soul or inherent intelligence. And I do believe that a lot of like all plant medicines and toad medicines and, and what have you have intelligence because I've experienced it and I've seen it do its work. Um, the thing about ketamine that I think still allows it to have a really profound effect on people is that even though it's chemically synthesized, it does allow you to reconnect with your inner healer. And I think that that is really important. And that alone is a really valuable aspect of it. I've experienced it for training purposes. It's incredibly healing. It's incredibly gentle. I feel like it's very intelligent. My experience with it is that the medicine was very intelligent and, and wanted to heal me and wanted to help me. But it connected me with my inner healer. And that's the version of us that I think Gabber may have been talking about that we get separated from, right? Trauma separates yeah. us from who we really are. And our inner healer is the version of us before we were traumatized. And that version of us knows exactly what we need to do to heal ourselves. And ketamine allows us to connect with our inner healer. So even though it may not be a living plant or come from a living, you know, um, entity like a toad, 
I still do think that there is a lot of soul and a lot of intelligence in ketamine. And even if the only thing that it does on a, you know, spiritual level in that way with intellectually is connect us with our inner healer, it's, that's still Hmm. such a huge gift, right? Such a huge the point. Gift. What I'm hearing is, if it has the ability to help, then we're not ruling it. We're not taking it off the table. Thank you. Like, sim- simply put, yep. yeah, you nailed I, it. I tend to agree with you because if I'm on a journey of healing, depending where I am on my life, anything that helps move me closer to that, to me, is is in the toolkit. Period. Exactly. <laughs> um. Okay. So we're already. So part of the agenda for our next episode is like, let's get into the ketamine journey, like yeah. dosing, the understanding, the the whole intake process. I really want to understand how that works, and also give my audience a chance to go, hey, maybe that, maybe that is or isn't something for me, or more importantly, someone you know in your life who you know is struggling, and you've been, you know, you you're trying to help them as we all do, because we all inherently we care first. You know, I think as humans, sometimes we paint mm-hmm. this picture that we don't, but I think we do. We're very we're very caring. Uh, sometimes it's just great to introduce it to somebody in a safe way. So this next episode, we're gonna get into that. Um, who knows what else we're going to talk about? Cause this is fantastic. I could talk to you for like three hours <laughs> easily, easily. <laughs> Jessica one. Thank you so much for your honesty and your willingness to share. That means so much to me that we create a space that you can come on and just feel safe and feel comfortable. Go, here's my story. Here's me. Here's you know, like, here's me raw. And well, you're, and, but you're only three years old. So I guess, I guess it's really fresh exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and really share how honest of your journey. And I'm so excited to see your, even as the story went and to see the joy that, that you, that you found in with you and then how that, yeah. that's played out in your life. I think it's, I think it's amazing. So a huge high five to you on that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I think the biggest gift that I've been given is love for myself because now I am love. So when I give love, it, it's not that I have to give it away. I, you know, I don't have to generate it. I am. It doesn't run out folks. It doesn't run out. Love for my, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. So my ability, so to, my capacity to love has just been increased you know, tenfold. And I'm not doing it to feel good about myself anymore. I'm, I'm doing it because I am love, you know? Mic drop moment. Well, loved it. Loved our chat. Definitely. Well, now I've said it. There's a second episode coming. So I hope you're game because I've kind of put it out there. (laughs) Oh, I'm doing it. We're doing it. It's it's already done. We'll book, we'll book it in before the day is done. Uh, But hey, I know you need to get to work to help some more people and share, and share some love. So I'll let you, I'll let you do that. And thank you so much for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you.